The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with futures near session lows as stocks, well, they kind of search for direction. We're also going to tell you why one strategist says he's already outright negative on stocks in 2023. And sinking sales and disappearing demand. Microsoft laying out what was a rough quarter and was likely an even weaker year ahead. And new details this morning on exactly what activists are after as they boost their stakes in software giant Salesforce. Also, fireworks on Capitol Hill yesterday, senators demanding answers from Live Nation executives over the Taylor Swift ticketing fiasco and Tesla planning to boost its Nevada manufacturing footprint just as the company prepares to open its books after the close today. It's Wednesday, January the 25th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Happy Wednesday. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a bit of a muted session for stocks yesterday. We saw the Dow finish higher for a third straight day. Right now, we're seeing futures near session lows. We're seeing the S&P, the Dow, the ne- and the Nasdaq, excuse me, all of them in the negative. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down just about three quarters of a percent right now. Kind of a change in direction. Um, futures took a bit of a dip after investors kind of changed their mind on Microsoft. First, the company saw its shares jump after earnings, and they fall in overnight. We also want to take a check of the bond market right now. We're looking at yields right now. Yields right now, uh, we look at the 10-year, about 40 basis points lower than we started the year. We're still seeing that inverted yield curve, a possible recession indicator. We keep talking about it. have to mention it here and there. We also want to look at energy. Oil is coming off its worst session in three weeks. WTI this morning, trading at just about 80 bucks a barrel. You see it's unchanged. Brent crude up slightly. we got to remember, oil's basically back where it started the year and started the month. Dipped down to as low as 72 bucks a barrel, now back up to 80 Also in crypto, we're seeing some moves when it comes to Bitcoin and Ether, especially when it comes to Bitcoin. We're seeing Bitcoin back above that 20,000 mark that seems to be crucial nowadays. Bitcoin up about 35% this month. Also, Ether up about 25% this month. However, you're seeing the whole complex here under pressure. All right, around the world, most Asian markets remain closed for the Lunar New Year celebrations. But Europe is very much open for business right now. We want to toss things over to our, our own uh, actually, sorry, just looking at, at that right now. Let's get to our top story, excuse me, and shares of Microsoft. They're under pressure this morning, reporting its lowest overall sales growth since 2017 as consumer demand for its Windows and Xbox products sink in the key holiday quarter. Our Arjun Kapal, he joins us now to break it down. Arjun, I tried to jump the gun, but we're getting over to you now. Um, a bit of a surprise when it came to the cloud results, but some of that guidance, not as great. Yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster, Frank, and good morning to you because uh, Microsoft came out with earnings that beat expectations. It was all looking good. Uh, the market had expected its, its devices business, more personal computing, uh, it calls it, to fall, and that fell 19% in the quarter. But Intelligent Cloud was up 18% ahead of consensus, uh, and Azure and other cloud uh, business was up around 31%. Yes, a slowdown from the previous quarter, but still growth and good enough for the market at the time. 
but it was that guidance. That's what disappointed the market. That's what reverse course on the shares after hours. And it was that revenue forecast of around 50.5 billion to 51.5 billion, implying 3% growth for the current quarter that disappointed the market. It was below consensus, but it's also the gloomy commentary around crowd that was really worrying as well. Interestingly, the company said in the December quarter, Azure cloud services rose 42% quarter as a whole. But in December in particular, it was only mid 30% growth. So you see that slowdown and the company forecasting in the, in the current quarter, another four to five percentage point decrease in that Azure business. Of course, it's very critical cloud business that many are, are bullish about over the long term. Management said some of those downward pressures on business trends were to continue in areas such as Windows licensing, for example. So all of that put together really was, was quite worrying. Wasn't so much the Q4 results. It was very much so that guidance for the rest of the year. On top of that, this morning, Microsoft's coming out with news that it was facing outages in a number of businesses, including this Teams and Outlook products as well, which it says so far it's fixed. But that's a a compounding number of bad news there, Frank. Yeah, there was quite a bit of bad news there, Arjun. But one thing that seemed to be a bright spot, a lot of investors were looking for more details on their investment in OpenAI. And we heard from from Satya Nadella that now uh, 200 companies are using OpenAI. They're about to open up the platform for support and let more companies use it. What are you hearing about when it comes to the excitement over OpenAI and ChatGPT? Yeah, I think we might be having some technical difficulties with Arjun. Um, Arjun also going to break down another big report that's coming up after the Bell Forest Tesla. We're going to get to him in just a minute, so please stay with us. We definitely want to talk about Tesla. But now we want to toss things over to some of our morning's other top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Good Wednesday morning to you, Frank. Well, we're, we're getting new details this morning on the activist pressure surrounding Salesforce. A person di- with direct knowledge of the matter tells the Financial Times that the company's new outspoken investors, which includes Elliott Management, Starboard Capital and former ValueX CEO Jeff Ubbin, have made it clear that a sale of either Slack or Tableau should be explored adding the company overpaid for both businesses. The FT also reporting CEO Mark Benioff should expect Elliott to seek a board seat should he disregard its demands. Tesla says it will invest more than $3.6 billion to expand its Nevada Gigafactory complex with two new facilities. One will be devoted to mass production of its long-delayed semi-electric truck and the other for its new 4680 battery cell, producing enough batteries for 2 million light-duty vehicles a year. Tesla says the new factories will employ about 3,000 people. And bankrupt crypto lender BlockFi exposing just how deep its relationship with Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX actually was. According to financials previously redacted, but accidentally uploaded last night without said redactions, the company says it had over $1.2 billion in assets tied up with FTX and Alameda Research, much more than prior disclosures suggested. Of that $1.2 billion, more than $830 million was in loans to Alameda Research, Frank. All right, Silvana, certainly a developing story yeah. there. Silvana Hanau, thank you very much. Okay. All right, we have Arjun back after a few technical difficulties. Arjun, thanks for coming back. Um, I just want to wrap up our conversation about Microsoft earnings and especially its cloud business, Azure. Um, We know there was some disappointing numbers when it came to some things, especially the guidance. But what about OpenAI? We saw Satya Nadella really break down the future of OpenAI for their customers. 
Absolutely. And I think that's fascinating. You spoke, you've seen uh, Satya Nadella over the years talk about the potential for AI and how Microsoft sees that playing out. I think its commitment uh, in that big investment in open AI really shows it's not just about chat GPT. That is an interesting product, but it's about what comes next from open AI and how the company sees some of these technologies, perhaps melding into their other products like search in Bing or even things like Teams and its cloud computing products. This could be, of course, a key differentiator for Microsoft as in the future as it continues to play out this cloud battle with Amazon. But certainly Nadella here, big stamp of approval for the technology of open AI and, of course, where he sees the direction of artificial intelligence going when it comes to Microsoft. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about that open AI investment and what it means for the cloud later today. But before we let you go, we have another huge report on deck today. Tesla, what exactly is the street expecting? What should investors be looking out for? Yeah, I think this is one of the most important uh, earnings reports for Elon Musk, given the crossroads this Tesla is at with the macro environment being difficult, but also his distractions over at Twitter. And I think the market's going to be looking at a number of things. Firstly, those price cuts that we've seen across the globe and how that might impact margins. I think they want to want to hear a little bit about what Tesla's plans are for new and refreshed vehicles, given they've not released a new model in some time as well. Volumes. Musk has talked about 50% growth for Tesla volumes uh, over the sort of long term. That's not something we've seen of late. So there may be a bit of a re- uh, expectation reset when it comes to volumes. And I think the market's going to win a hair. A bit more commentary about that. But also, I think finally, they want to hear from Musk how he plans to juggle everything that he's taking on. The current uh, trial that he's undergoing, the Twitter issues uh, and all his other businesses, including SpaceX. How will he put Tesla, the crown jewel really of his empire, back front and center to navigate this company through what is a very tricky time? I think this is not so much really about the results, but it's about the guidance and it's about uh, investors and uh, trying to get confidence back on Elon Musk and Musk trying to get the confidence of the market back as well, Frank. Yeah, a lot of storylines there when it surrounds Elon Musk and Tesla. We're seeing Tesla shares down more than a percent and a half this morning. Arjun Kapal, thank you very much. Great to see you as always, buddy. All right, turning our attention back to the broader markets now. The major averages have gotten off to a great start this year with the S&P up more than four and a half percent, the Nasdaq up more than eight percent. But not everyone is on board with this January rally. J.P. Morgan chief market strategist Marco Kalanovic says China's reopening and the weaker dollars help create a narrative. The worst is over and a recession somehow happened last year. Appearing on Fast Money last night, Kalanovic cites recent data that includes ISM services, retail sales and the Philly Fed survey as reasons he's bearish. We do think that we will uh, have a recession. The question is whether it's a mild or less mild, uh, both here in the U.S. and in Europe. So sort of as the time passes, we think that fundamentals are deteriorating, you know, and the market has been moving up, you know, like so that has to clash at some point. Well, that remains to be seen. A lot of questions there. Let's bring in Annika Treon, chief economist at Van Landshot Kempen. Annika, always great to have you here. Um, I think we got to start with what we're seeing in the markets right now. Futures at session lows. What are you seeing? What is giving the markets pressure this morning? Is it the Microsoft results or is there something else? I think it's 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 a combination. Hi, Frank. Good morning. It's a combination of factors. I think, first of all, perhaps the market is just taking a breather. It's been a hell of a start of 2023. Markets have been hot. Obviously, as we get into earnings season, that's the moment of reality check for certain companies for earnings estimates, where we still believe that earnings estimates in aggregate are too high. That's a clear cut answer. I like that one. Um, Let's talk about what we saw with Microsoft. Um, Tech so important for the markets. Um, When you look at Microsoft, Google and Amazon, it's almost a quarter of the Nasdaq. Tech in general, about more than a quarter of the S&P 500. 
Microsoft has so much influence. Um, what we saw from Microsoft with that weak guidance, how do you see it influencing the market day going forward? Yeah, well, I, I think there's two, two answers to your question. I think the first answer is let's talk about the global economy because what's happening in the actual economy is obviously spilling over into companies like Microsoft and what they're seeing in terms of you know, revenue sales, et cetera. We've had seven consecutive months of slowdown of leading indicators almost across the world. If you look at PMIs, manufacturing, services PMIs, of almost all major economies, you know, we're in contraction mode. We're below the 50. And that's why all the, you know, all the pundits, everybody is talking about recession over 2023. The second answer to the question, you know, which is obviously causing weakness, thus the fear around the earnings season. The second point is something that we simply have to unlearn. We've been taught over the last actually almost 10 years to talk about aggregate terms, to talk about tech, where accommodative monetary policy, you know, very, very low cost of capital has been the ultimate fuel for sectors such as tech. And, you know, if a company is a tech company, let's buy it because it can benefit from the fuel. We need to unlearn that. I think there's no such thing as tech. There are individual companies that are riding on specific business models which have specific cash flow profiles. Some are more, um, some are more legacy, known, historic businesses. Others right. are brand new where cash flows, are, cash flows are very much weighed into the future. All right. So now to build up to the big question here, Annika, we heard Marco Kalanovic from J.P. Morgan saying the worst may not be over. He still believes that there could be a recession, that he's not that he's bearish on equities. Where are you at when it comes to equities? And should we be cautious? Is the China reopening perhaps giving us a false sense of security going forward? Yes, we would certainly uh, pronounce on the word caution. I tell you what the biggest issue that all asset allocators have today. On one hand, we all know that if everybody is screaming out recession, recession, recession. This is, this is arguably the most anticipated recession in history. If positioning is already such, um, you would argue, well, that's already priced in. That's already known. And in fact, you have positives at the margin. European energy crisis is almost behind us, um, China reopening, etc. The other issue we have is just the simple fundamental that we have today, which is twofold. One, weakening, you know, cracks in the economy. And two, maybe most importantly, central bank policy. The market is getting very excited about the world you know, suddenly changing. The market is anticipating that the Fed, for example, is going to make its pivot this year. The market is expecting lower rates than the Fed themselves. That gap is this year's story. And I think, you know, given what central banks have gone through in the last two to three, the last one to two years, mm -hmm. credibility is extremely important. And that's why we think it's, it's too early to expect them to aggressively pivot, which is why we're cautious. Yeah, a lot of people still hoping for that pause or that pivot. Annika Tran, we appreciate the insight as always. Great to see you. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, your big money movers and why it's no profits, no problem for a certain basket of stocks being tracked by Goldman Sachs. Plus, inflation may be cooling, but for most Americans, the price of a cup of coffee or a bag of groceries hasn't budged a bit. We're going to dig into why. And later, much more on Microsoft's earnings and, its, and if its consumer demand slowdown is a leading indicator for the rest of tech. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. First stock up is Capital One. You see shares are down more than 2%. As the consumer lenders' fourth quarter earnings, they missed forecasts and revenue was slightly below estimates. While card spending rose 9%, so did charge-offs and credit loss provisions, which tripled from just a year ago. Next up, Intuitive Surgical, down big, down more than 8% right now. The maker of robotic surgery equipment reporting lighter than expected fourth quarter profits. Sales, those were in line with estimates, however. The company says the number of procedures using its systems rose by 18%, but it's still experiencing disruptions due to the COVID pandemic. And finally, no profits, no problem. Check out the gains so far this year for some of these names. We're talking Affirm up 45%, Stitch Fix up 47%, and Carvana up nearly 40%. What do they all have in common? Let's think about it for a second. Well, they're part of Goldman Sachs, no profitable tech index, a basket of about 40 stocks, many that you know, that have gone gangbusters this month. The combined gain of all these stocks in the basket is more than 15 percent, but no profits. All right, still on deck. Ticketmaster parent Live Nation in the hot seat on Capitol Hill over its botched Taylor Swift tour ticket rollout. The competition wasting no time calling out its rival, Wex, back right after this. The only way to restore competition in this industry is to break up Ticketmaster and Live Nation. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Inflation may be cooling, but for most Americans, the price of a cup of coffee or a dozen eggs or a bag of groceries, it hasn't budged a bit. CNBC.com's Melissa Repko joins us now with more. So, Melissa, the overall inflation figure, it cooled a bit in December. So why are these prices still so high and why is it so sticky? Yes, prices, that's, that's really a frustration. I keep hearing from so many friends and family. They go to the grocery store and they said, you know, inflation's cooling. I don't see it. I don't feel it. And there's really three key reasons here. One is that a lot of companies are paying higher wages, and that's especially on the retail restaurant side. We heard from Walmart that they're, they're raising their wages, and that's a dynamic that they're facing. The other thing is they're locked into long-term contracts, and they're paying more for things like cotton and beef. And those contracts continue to last, even as those commodities get cheaper. And then the third thing is that they're under pressure from investors to have better profit margins. So especially as the sales environment gets a little bit cooler and and potentially sales get a little softer, that is something they can control and say to their investors, hey, our profit margins are still strong. So they don't want to give that up easily. 
All right. So there's obviously a lot of factors to this, but what are companies saying about these higher prices and are they doing anything to give their customers and consumers any kind of relief? So I spoke to Rodney McMullen. He's the Kroger CEO, and he was saying that, you know, kind of the same thing, that he wants to tell customers that it may be a while before they see relief. If people are paying, he was telling me that if people were used to paying $80 for their groceries and now they're paying $90, that $90 is going to stick around. But he said they're leaning into private label. So those are the cheaper versions of peanut butter, paper towels, things like that. And that's kind of the way they can compete with some of these bigger consumer packaged goods companies and put pressure on them to potentially offer more coupons and promotions, even if the price stays high. So if you have a social media account, you've seen the jokes about eggs, people saying like, you know, their life savings are in eggs or like they've saved enough money to buy some eggs. Egg prices are just through the roof. Are there any other areas where prices are actually lower and people are getting a a bit of a break? Yes, there is a little bit of good news. And actually, eggs are one of the things that are starting to come down. That was something that Rodney told me. So he said that's really because of the avian flu outbreak and that's starting to ease. Uh, Another area is that consumer electronics have gotten cheaper. And a lot of pandemic categories, you know, people bought TVs during the pandemic. They also bought major appliances during the pandemic. Those things have gotten cheaper. Apparel is showing some signs of getting cheaper. And that's because more discounts are coming back because, you know, Macy's, Gap, Lululemon do have a lot of inventory and they're trying to sell through it. And they also want to dangle those discounts to get people to keep coming to their store. So that is the good news here. But in terms of a lot of the other goods that we pay for every day, Unfortunately, people are going to have to use their their salary and hopefully right. they'll, they'll have higher wages to keep up with with those higher prices. Discounts sounded great, Melissa. I wish you said discounts more in this story. Um, your story's going to be on CNBC.com later today, right? Yes, it's oh. actually already up there now. All right. Full story on CNBC.com. Melissa Repko, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Happy Wednesday, Philip. Happy Wednesday to you, Frank. Good morning. Severe weather pummeled the Gulf Coast overnight. In the darkness, millions in Louisiana are bracing for the threat of possible tornadoes as heavy rain and damaging winds lash the state. There are over 100,000 power outages across the southeast at this hour. This is the system that already produced at least 10 preliminary tornadoes, including four that triggered an emergency in the Houston metro area where there are multiple reports of injuries. Controversy over classified material now spreading again, with former Vice President Mike Pence's legal team revealing that a small number of classified documents were inadvertently boxed and taken to Pence's Indiana home after he left the vice presidency. That's according to a letter his legal team sent to the National Archives and obtained by NBC News. They say the former VP asked his team to conduct a search and he was unaware he had the secret material in his home. It was discovered January 16th. The letter was sent to the National Archives the next day and the FBI took possession of the documents. Pence's team says he's fully cooperating. Finally, St. Louis Cardinals great Scott Rowland was the only member of the 2023 Hall of Fame class voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America this year. Rowland, a seven-time All-Star and eight-time Gold Glove winner, was elected in his sixth appearance on the ballot, clearing the 75% threshold needed by just five votes. Uh, The next closest, Frank, was uh, Rockies first baseman Todd Helton had 72%, so he just missed it. Yeah, I was looking at this list. I don't know how big of a baseball fan you were. I used to be a bigger baseball fan, but the fact that uh, when you look at Gary Sheffield, didn't make it, and then Manny Ramirez. I know there's some controversy, but Manny Ramirez not in the Hall of Fame is just hard to believe. I mean, and A-Rod had 35%, 33%. Andy Pettit was way down there, but I mean, right. we know what's surrounding that, well, and you know they may not ever get in because yeah. of that. 
Well, that's why I said there's a little bit of controversy. For some of these other names, there's a lot of controversy. So that's a little oh, yeah. bit different. All right, Philip Mena, thank you very much. Great to see you as always. Yes, yeah, indeed. All right, still ahead, Amazon workers in the UK say the company treats its robots better than its people. What they are doing to enact some change, that's ahead on WEX. And if you haven't already followed our podcast, if you miss Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. WEX, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps, and we will be right back. The earnings parade set to roll on. Futures are lower as investors prepare to parse through the latest batch of quarterly results. And shares of Microsoft in the red on the back of some gloomy outlook. The tech giant signaling tougher days ahead for some of its key drivers. We're going to dig into those results. And funding, not so secure. Elon Musk wrapping up his testimony in the Tesla shareholder trial. Lacking, signaling a lack of specific commitments in his 2018 push to take the EV maker private. It is Wednesday, January the 25th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Selvin. Hope your Wednesday is getting off to a great start. Let's get right to how the trading day is shaping up. Futures right now in the red. You can see right now the Dow would open up about 200 points lower at this point. Of course, it's still early. Let's turn to the bond market. Taking a look at where yields are right now. We're seeing the 10-year yield at just about 3.43, still seeing that inverted yield curve. We've been saying and saying it's a recession indicator, something a lot of people are watching right now. We also have to get a check on energy. WTI crude right now at just about 80 bucks a barrel, unchanged right now. Brent crude at about 86 bucks a barrel. We're seeing natural gas, however, falling more than 3.5%. Big story here. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over there in Europe. Our Arabile Goumide is standing by in our London newsroom with much more on that. Arabile, great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too, Frank. So certainly markets have actually been in quite negative territory. So if you want to blame that futures outlook on anybody, perhaps you could try to blame it on the European front, which is all negative, unfortunately, today. The PPI numbers having come out of the UK, pointing to a slightly positive uh, input price cost of around 16.5% for the month of December. It is down 0.8% month on month. That 16.5% is a year-on-year figure. So perhaps slightly better on that front. We had uh, climate, business climate data out of uh, Germany. Germany as well, pointing to slightly positive movement as well there. Also in the UK, we then also uh, got to see a sense of the GDP numbers. So the Office for Budget Responsibility not necessarily pointing a positive picture there. But negativity is what we're seeing. Speaking of the UK, workers in an Amazon warehouse in central England are striking in what is a dispute then over pay and working conditions. This is the first ever official strike at an Amazon facility in the UK. Staff are unhappy with a pay increase of just 56 cents per hour that was imposed last summer, saying it fails to match the rising cost of living. They're asking for a minimum wage of just over $18 an hour. On the other side of things, if we head on over to Germany, a story that has just broken over the last couple of hours or so, uh, German police have reportedly raided the offices of BNP Paribas in Frankfurt. That's according to German newspaper Handelsblatt. Now, they've said that the raid was part of an investigation into a multi-billion euro tax fraud. That's that cum-ex fraud notion. A spokesperson for BNP Paribas has said no immediate comment is available 
on the Handel's Blood report when approached by Reuters. Another news front, Dutch chipmaker ASML reported 21.2 billion euros in full-year net sales amid strong demand for its products. That's despite the challenging macroeconomic environment. The group also said it will wait for a, quote, reasonable solution to the U.S.-led export restrictions to China. So all of that still happening across the board, negative across the European markets. Frank. All right, Errol Brille, thank you very much for that overseas action. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana, good morning again. Good morning again to you, Frank. Rupert Murdoch officially pulling the plug on his proposal to recombine Fox Corp and News Corp. Shares of both companies rising on the decision. In a letter to Fox's board, Murdoch and his son Lachlan, who is Fox's CEO, said they determined that a combination is not optimal for the shareholders of either of the companies at the time. While Murdoch, through his family trust, effectively has control over both companies, a merger would have required a majority of non-Murdoch-affiliated shareholders, with several major ones expressing concerns with the deal. Elon Musk says he expected strong financial support when he sent out his infamous 2018 funding secure tweet, but that he did not have specific commitments from potential backers. That revelation coming amid Musk's final day of testimony during the Tesla shareholder lawsuit over the tweet. Musk told a jury that he could have drawn upon several sources of financing to take Tesla private, saying that was absolutely not an issue. Musk also shedding light on Tesla's tense relationship with J.P. Morgan Chase, calling it very negative, and that he decided to take away all of Tesla's commercial banking business from the bank after CEO Jamie Dimon declined to support Tesla. And Live Nation feeling the wrath of Congress over Ticketmaster's botched rollout of tickets last year for Taylor Swift's upcoming tour. Members from both sides of the aisle on the Senate Judiciary Committee criticizing the company, calling it a monopoly that hinders competition and hurts consumers. Ticketing rival SeatGeek also on the hot seat, quick to side with lawmakers. It is no mystery why no other company has significantly penetrated the primary ticketing market. Major venues in the U.S. know that if they move their primary ticketing business from Ticketmaster, they risk losing revenue they earn from Live Nation concerts. Live Nation's president and CFO did acknowledge problems with the pre-sale, but pushed back, saying the issue largely stemmed from online bots flooding its system, Frank. Yeah, it's been a big controversy. I mean, really I, don't, I don't 100% understand. I know people weren't able to get tickets. I'm not right. a Taylor Swift fan, so I'm not personally affected. But it sounds Same. like it's a complete injustice and all yes, you Swifties, Apparently people were side. waiting for hours or tickets were just, you know, insanely expensive. So lots there. All right. Bad blood. I think every, yes. that pun's going to be used a couple of times. <laughs> Absolutely. Today. All right, Silvana, great to see you as always. All right. Turning our attention to the big tech story this morning, shares of Microsoft and its rivals in the cloud infrastructure business, all of them down this morning following Microsoft's results. A very soft guide, especially for its cloud business, just weighing on the entire sector. Microsoft's fiscal 2Q, uh, Q2 offering a narrow but somewhat surprising beat for Azure growth, revenues of 31 percent, just beating the estimate of 30.8 percent. But the guidance for this current quarter was weak. The company saying growth slowed into year end. We exited Q2 with Azure growth in the mid-30s in constant currency. And from that, we expect Q3 growth to decelerate roughly four to five points in constant currency. FX impact in Azure is about a point more than at the segment level. So growth slowing in tech overall, but we received new insight on what could be a new growth engine for Microsoft and its Azure business, AI, and more specifically, 
Uh, the company will integrate ChatGPT following its latest multi-billion dollar investment in OpenAI. Satya Nadella is saying about 200 customers are already using it, and Microsoft will soon add a support function to increase usability. Analysts say this could be a further differentiator for Azure that has made major gains in market share in recent years. Also, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman has said Azure has the best AI infrastructure. Uh, he may be biased after a few multi-billion dollar investments, but he did say it. All right, let's dive deeper into the results and the outlook for the company. Let's bring in Timothy Horan, Cloud and Communications Analyst at Oppenheimer. Timothy, great to have you on. You always do great notes on this space. I want to start off with your take on Microsoft results with a big focus on Azure. Great. Well, expectations were relatively low, so they, as you pointed out, they did meet those expectations. Um, but this has been the weakest growth we've kind of seen uh, out of uh, Azure for, well, uh, for in the company's history and about the weakest growth we've seen out of Microsoft in the last five years or so. And uh, as you pointed out, the guide really is fairly weak. Uh, the revenue growth has been decelerating about 400 basis points per quarter the last two quarters. They're really calling for a six to 700 basis points deceleration, which is in a recurring services business model is extremely, extremely weak. And Frank, I know you were on the call last night. They did point out quite a few times that December they saw slowing sales, and uh, that has kind of continued into January. Yeah, they, so really, they really highlighted that slowdown into year end. Um, so I want to ask you, after the, the, the report came out before the call, uh, the stock jumped up. I believe it jumped up about 4%. After the call, it took a turn to the red. Um, have you changed your opinion on Microsoft and your rating at all? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think those comments that you highlighted really were the key. Uh, the deceleration in Azure or expectations um, is a little bit shocking because it means we're going to see another kind of couple of quarters, maybe a few quarters of Azure growth uh, slowing uh, by, you know, probably to maybe the mid 20 percent at the bottom here in the next kind of six to, to 12 months at some point. Uh, but positively, um, they did talk about companies are really just grooming and saving money, and they're reinvesting that money on longer-term growth opportunities. And that really is the key to the story. And as you also highlighted, the other key to the story is really is AI. Right. I mean, they mentioned AI throughout their conversations yesterday. And we remain extremely optimistic on their ability to create really a brand-new platform for AI. And Satya highlighted the fact that when these opportunities only come around like once a decade to create a platform, and they're really well-positioned to do that. So let me ask you, is, is OpenAI potentially as transformative as a lot of people believe it may be? And could it change the competition in the cloud infrastructure space? We really just showed a moment ago that some of this is from your research about the huge market share gains that Azure has made, almost doubling its market share over the last five or six years. Is this a catalyst for them to potentially overtake AWS as the leader in cloud infrastructure? If AWS and, and Google do not respond in an effective way with their own AI, yes, this will be a game changer for uh, for Microsoft. And the big difference is uh, Azure or AWS gains like 80, 90 percent of new startup customers. Uh, and that can totally flip at this point um, if Microsoft remains the lead in AI and, and Amazon and Google do not respond. So, Timothy, we got to let you go in a second, but uh, you didn't answer one question. Are you changing your rating on Microsoft at all? I know a lot of analysts base their rating on Microsoft on the Azure performance and the growth. Does this change your outlook or your price target or anything else when it comes to Microsoft? Uh, no, we still have a $265 price target. We do think the next six months can be a little volatile, but if you have an 18-month or longer time frame, we think Microsoft is going to do extremely well. All right. I think you're making a lot of people happy with those last comments. Timothy Horan from Oppenheimer, great to talk to you. Great notes as always. Great to have you on. All right, coming up here on WEX, we stay on the earnings beat and preview Tesla's results and the potential impact of price cuts and slowing consumer demand on the EV maker's bottom line. 
Wax. We're back in a moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Tesla gearing up to report fourth quarter earnings after the close today. Shares rallying this month after shedding two-thirds of its value from April of 2022 and finishing off the year with its worst month, quarter, and year on record. How many times have you heard us say that? Investors looking for insight on delivery estimates, potential price cuts, updates on new factories and vehicle models, and the very latest on Elon Musk, who's been in court this week over claims that he defrauded investors back in 2018. Joining me now to discuss is GLJ Research Founder and CEO, Gordon Johnson. Gordon, always great to see you. Hey, great to see you, Frank. All right, a lot of anticipation for this report. We were just mentioning Tesla shares up about 15% year-to-date, uh, following its worst month ever, starting off with a really great month. What are you expecting from this report, and what's the most important thing? Is it the results, or is it the guidance? That's a great question. So we think what's most important about this earnings report is the guidance. Why? Why do we think that? So if you look at the what we've, what we've phrased the midnight massacre price cuts that Tesla just engaged in, you're talking about from the fourth quarter of last year to this quarter. So far in the first quarter of 23, price cuts of 14% in the U.S., 12% in Europe, 5% in China. All of that happened in the first quarter. So while we expect you know, there to be some, some fireworks in the fourth quarter, what's most important is what they guide margins to in the first quarter. Keep in mind, we ran those price cuts through our model. We completely re- re- rejiggered our model last night. We believe they're going to report 70 cents per share in the first quarter of 2023. The street's at a buck oh two. And we believe for the full year 2023, they're going to report $2.99. The street's at four fifty one. So we think what's most important is not what they've done in the past, but what they're going to do in the future and what they're going to guide to. All right. So go ahead and walk me through this. Um, we're seeing price cuts from Tesla at the same time. It seems like they're trying to incre- increase their production capacity, not only for vehicles, but other parts of the business. Are investors going to receive that well? Yeah, that's a great point. So I just want to highlight, right, Tesla has done massive price cuts. And some of the pundits out there have said that's resulted in stronger demand. But the data doesn't support that. What do I mean by that? Look at their lead times. Their lead times in the U.S. have actually fallen since the 112, the January 12th price cuts. Same thing in Germany, lead times in China flat. So I think that the, the demand is not responding to the price cuts. And I think that's going to scare investors. The question is, is Tesla going to be honest about their earnings guidance? Typically, Elon Musk puts out a very positive face, even if faced with dire circumstances. In Q2, when they shut down the Shanghai plant, we knew their growth wasn't going to be 50 percent. They still got it to 50 percent growth. They missed that number. So we think that they may be optimistic. But overall, we think that they're facing big problems and they're not seeing the demand response for the price cuts that I think many of the bulls hope for. Yeah. Speaking of those demand issues, at the end of last year, we heard the stories about Tesla employees trying to rush to deliver vehicles and try to meet targets. Um, In the end, Tesla ended up missing. Is that a big deal or a small deal? I mean, just in general, we saw consumer spending weakening as the year ended and tech companies having issues just in general. Is Tesla going to be judged harshly for this? I think they are. That's a great point. So, So think about this, right? Their lead times have collapsed to basically nothing. Last quarter, their lead times literally went from multiple weeks slash months to zero, right? Their lead times have collapsed despite the fact that their Shanghai plant, they they cut capacity by 30% at the end of the fourth quarter, and their Texas and Berlin plants are running at just 20% utilization. They can't sell what they're producing right now despite the fact that their plants are full full utilization. That's a big problem. So all these talks about them expanding capacity, we think they're really just fluff. And I think that, again, 
they're not showing the demand response to the price cuts that I think they hoped for. One other thing, you know, people have talked about this mega pack opportunity. People are saying it's a 40 gig. Last year, right. the U- U.S. did just one gigawatt of mega packs, expected to do five gigawatts in 2025. So I think okay. that's another bit that the bulls are focused on that isn't going to pan out. All right, Gordon, we want to get one more in. Uh, I believe you have a price target for Tesla that implies about an 80 percent drop from where we are right now. Break down how much of that is fundamentals and how much is that is just the perception, at least, that Elon Musk is distracted and maybe he's just doing too much. That's a great question. So the street's estimate on Tesla's EPS for this year has went from $6.50 to $4.51. The street estimate for last year, 2022, has went from just like roughly $5 to $4.50. So even the street believes that their EPS is coming down. I think it's purely fundamentals. We're seeing a collapse in demand for their product in China. We're seeing big inventory build in the U.S. I think that that's scaring the institutional investors, despite the fact you've had a lot of retail money flowing. So I think it's purely fundamental. And I think it gets worse as you have all this new competition entering. So we think things get worse through this year. That's why we think they're going to do $2.99 in earnings in streets at four fifty. As the street adjusts to our number, we think the stock goes down further. All right, Gordon, I think we're going to get a few questions about your price target for Tesla. A lot more questions about where you get your coffee. You are awake, my man. Great to see you as always. Always good to see you. Hey, good to see you. All right, on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, more on Tesla. Jeff Kilberg, he lays out why he's diving into the EV maker and other stocks that he's snatching up. Wex, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with Microsoft. It says it is investigating issues with several of its products, including Teams, Outlook, and Azure overnight. The company says some customers who have reported outages are now reporting their services are coming back online. Amazon workers at a warehouse in central England are staging the company's first-ever strike in the U.K. this morning over pay and working conditions. Strikers say the company treats its robots better than its workers. Tesla plans to invest more than $3 billion to expand its Nevada Gigafactory complex with two new factories in an effort to mass-produce its long-delayed semi-truck and new battery cells. And shares of NIDEC Corp. falling after warning its annual net profit is likely to fall by more than 50% from a year earlier. It cites cost restructuring to its slowing automotive business in Europe as a key driver of the downgrade. And Salesforce facing potential investor pressure to sell Slack or Tableau if performance does not improve. The FT reporting that investors say the company overpaid for both of those businesses. And Intuitive Surgical shares dropping after the robotic systems maker reported fourth quarter results slightly below expectations and said it placed fewer of its devices due to COVID-19 disruptions in China. All right, we're also gearing up for the trading day ahead at 7 a.m. We get the latest look at weekly mortgage applications and the earnings parade just rolls on with results from AT&T, Boeing. Tesla, IBM, CSX, and Las Vegas Sands all on tap today. Also, the trial of, on the Tesla shareholder lawsuit against Elon Musk, it continues this morning. And at 1.30 this afternoon, this will be an interesting one, Senator Elizabeth Warren will deliver a keynote address on the state of the crypto industry. All right, earnings still very much the catalyst for the markets with so many high-profile results on tap today. Let's bring in the big guy, Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial and a CNBC contributor for a look at the trading day ahead. Jeff, always great to have you on, man. Hey, Frank, great to be here. What a fascinating day you just laid out for us. So we get really excited about where we are going, but I have cautious optimism. And Frank, we've looked at all the different undercurrents. Yes, we have the Fed coming up next week, but right now, earnings season, we are in the heart of it. And it's great to see, despite the fact we've seen a lot of forward guidance weakening, look at Microsoft, I think we have the opportunity to see some of the NASDAQ names come back from the abyss. What have you seen all year is some of these names. If it's 
Facebook, I can't call it Meta yet, Frank. If it's Facebook, <laughs> if it's Microsoft, if it's NVIDIA, some of these names, I called them earlier with Sully, the nasty of the NASDAQ, similar to the dogs of the Dow. You're seeing that rejuvenation. You're seeing a little bit of leadership. But what's fascinating from the technical perspective, Frank, is that we will not really see confirmation on this bullish outlook until you see the NASDAQ 100 get above its 200-day. And we're still 6% away from that vault above that 200 moving average, specifically the NASDAQ. We've already accomplished the 200 moving average in the S&P 500 as well as the Dow Jones. Look at man, you're ready to go. You know, a lot of people don't know, man, you were a center at Notre Dame. You just snapped the ball. We just got this thing going. Let's keep it we going. We got it. I got Gordon's coffee in me too, Frank. I mean, this is, <laughs> we're ready. We're locked and loaded. It's earnings season, baby. It's like our Super Bowl. Well, speaking of that, we got Tesla after the bell today. Just got a note from uh, Morgan Stanley, Adam Jonas, still naming Tesla as a top pick despite those price cuts, saying that we're seeing kind of a shakeup in the EV industry. What are you expecting from Tesla after the bell? Well, I think you're going to see some people really have um, a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out on Tesla. And what's interesting is that you've seen the political component come in. Ever since he got involved in Twitter and tweets every day, I think you saw an oversold condition. I started selling puts in Tesla. It didn't feel great when I started selling it at 130. But all the way down to 110, I was establishing a position. And thank you to the folks on the other side of my option trade, which assigned me. So I've been long Tesla here with optimism that we have the ability to go back and fill up to about $180. So yes, overnight, we did see Tesla invest about $3.6 billion into that gig factory in Nevada. And that is optimistic and encouraging. However, I think a lot of people are looking for a buyback of some sort. So Tesla, Elon Musk is always the wild card, but I think this oversold condition, I think you're gonna see the ability for it to snap back a little bit. And I'm looking, and I'm gonna have a very tight leash on this stock, because this is a trade. This is right. not an investment. This is a trade. So I'm gonna be very considerate here okay. on what does actually come out. All right, let's stick with uh, tech right now. We have IBM after the bell as well. So we saw a really soft guide from Microsoft. IBM plays in a similar space, a little bit more focus on the hybrid cloud. What are you expecting from Big Blue after the bell? Well, Frank, you bring up a great point, and I think this isn't a news flash. I think a lot of traders and investors globally have anticipated these price cuts, this lower guidance, and even layoffs. And we saw that again at Microsoft. So I think a lot has been priced in and digested. Look at the NASDAQ last year. It was the worst laggard of the major U.S. indices. So I think as you see the NASDAQ try and come back to life, you have to be considered of single names like Big Blue. And Big Blue you know, you forgot about Big Blue for the longest time, but they're really involved in the cloud. They're doing exceptionally well in the cloud. So we own Big Blue. I think it's an essential name. So there are certain names that I'm really looking at as a cross-section this week to give us a better understanding. Is the economy going to be okay? We all know that the growth is slowing. That's not a newsflash. We're going to see GDP later this week. So I get excited about owning single stocks that have been oversold, overextended. Yeah, I almost hesitated calling it Big Blue because I'm an Eagles fan. And that's what people call the Giants. But we're, we're going to digress. We're not going to focus on that too much. Um, I, I wanna, love it. I, I want to talk sectors a little bit with you. What's your take on energy? We've heard a lot of noise about China reopening, and that's going to lead to a spike in energy prices, specifically in oil. But we haven't really seen it. Oil trading, at least WTI, at about 80 bucks a barrel. That's where it started the year. That's right. And I think energy is a theme that we continue to want to own. It's interesting to see when we saw the collapse in WTI crude, when you saw those futures collapse, you didn't really see the Chevrons, the Exxon, the Occidentals. You didn't see those names really come off and go down to a new low. So that's actually really encouraging, Frank, to see that the energy sector is going to continue to move forward. Yes, we are optimistic about China coming back online. There's a lot of nervousness as we see that reopening. But finally, after COVID, we do feel confident that the demand coming out of China will sustain WTI. But I think it's isolated. I think energy is a sector that's going to continue to grow. We want to have exposure to it. You have to dance between the raindrops as we see this volatility, Frank. 
All right, Jeff Kilberg, great stuff as always. Great to see you. Uh, before we let you guys go over to Squawk Box, I'm going to take one last look at the stock futures right now. In the red, we're seeing the Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down more than a percent. At this point, it looks like the Dow could open up about 200 points lower. But remember, it is still pretty early. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.